morning. If you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter 22, Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of your Bible. Revelation chapter 22 is where we'll start this morning. Uh, the scriptures will also be on the screen behind me uh, this morning. My least favorite part about the, the four-week preaching teaching break, uh, the four-week sabbatical that I had, uh, my least favorite part was at the very beginning of that time when Laura and I sat on a plane for three hours. And you're thinking, well, that's not bad, three-hour plane, right? Yeah, but it was three hours on the runway. Um, we sat there, um, and we were told uh, that there was a lavatory problem. It was leaking. We were going to get it fixed. It would take 30 minutes. Three hours later, it still had not been fixed. We had taxied out twice only to turn around because it still wouldn't be fixed. It's frustrating because you're anticipating to get somewhere that you wanted to go, somewhere, in this case, to connect to other flights that you're trying to get to your, to your final destination, only to be waiting and not go anywhere. You've had these frustrating moments, right? Where you want something, you desire for something, you're looking for something, you're working towards something, only to have setbacks, only to find moments that, that maybe kind of uh, redirect you, turn you, into different, or turn you into different paths maybe you didn't intend or want, right? Maybe you've had these moments of frustration where you sat and waited and waited and you didn't, or at least you thought you didn't get anywhere. We all have those desires and those pursuits. We want things, and, and generally we pursue things that we think will make us happy, that will bring us joy. We desire for other things or different statuses because we believe that it will make us or our families happier, better, more joyful, more connected, and we have these kinds of pursuits. I was reading a story actually coming from a podcast, and I, and I followed up by reading some news articles on it. Not too long ago in the Atlanta area on I-285, an Uber driver um, was going to pick up a, a, a customer. He was alone in his car when he was driving down I-285, when all of a sudden there's just cars stopped everywhere on the, on the highway, kind of like a zigzag of a maze kind of thing. And so he begins to stop. He said his heart began to pump and race, and he began to think, oh, no, something terrible has happened. This is a, a vet, military veteran, this Uber driver. He hadn't been home too long ago, and he, sees, he comes across this scene on I-285, and he begins to think, I'm going to help. I'm going to help. So he pulls off to the side of 280, I-285, gets out of his car, and starts to run towards the crowd of people ready to give CPR, to drag people, to do whatever he needed to do to help these people. And he comes across a mob of people who are running around and chasing dollar bills. An armored truck earlier had a latch problem and bags of money was flowing from the armored truck right down I-285. And people had noticed that there was money just flying everywhere down this interstate highway, and people began to literally stop there on the highway, get out of their car, and begin to chase after money, literally right there on the highway. 
Philip Dean is the Uber driver, and Philip says as he realized what was going on, he noticed people running around in different directions, chasing and grabbing with piles of money in their arms. People just grabbing what they could, people running off after they had their load of money. And Philip Dean says he, he, sat, he stood there in this moment watching what was happening, realizing that there was not an emergency of any kind, but people were chasing after money. And this guy runs by him with a pile of cash in his arms. And Philip Dean describes this moment where he does, I don't know what happened, but I, I started grabbing money. And so he started bending over, grabbing dollar bills. And then the next thing you know, Philip Dean uh, describes this moment where he says, I may have to fight people for this money. And so he starts preparing himself for a fight as he's grabbing money. And sure enough, just as he's starting to think of of these kind of worst case scenarios that could happen on I-285 chasing after money, there's there's a $5 bill on the ground and he's going to pick it up. And this other guy comes to pick it up and they both pause as they're about to pick it up and he's ready he doesn't know what's going to happen in this moment and the guy with he said two arm loads of cash and on him looks down and sees it he goes oh that's a five you can have it and runs off and so philip dean picks up the five and he realized that nothing was going to happen and he decided he would leave so philip dean takes the cash that he had accumulated on the side of I-285, goes home and tells his dad about what had just happened, that this chaos and people chasing after all this money and the, and the, the, the highway was shut down and everything, dollar bills are flying like leaves blowing in the wind. And Philip Dean decides that he is going to return the money, that it's not right for him to keep it. So the next morning, he goes down to the police station and he returns the $18 that he took with a guilty conscience and remorse, he returned it. It made me think that we chase after these kinds of things, right? Philip didn't go into his Uber, his work that day, deciding that he would literally chase after money. But this moment occurred there where he noticed that people were doing it, and we are people who are constantly chasing after money, prestige, status, respect. And sometimes we get so caught up in it that if we're not moving, if we're not, if we're not accomplishing, if we're not, if we're not taking ourselves to the next level as we see it, then we feel like we're not going anywhere and we're just stuck on a plane to nowhere. That nothing's happening. And we begin to, to kind of almost demoralize ourselves. We begin to think of ourselves as less than. Over these last four weeks, I, I, I'm appreciative of those who have come to share God's Word with our church family, and I'm appreciative of so many of you who have done so many things at, uh, through the last month for our church family in my absence. But one of the things that I have realized in the last four weeks is the things that I often chase after or look to are not the important things. So week one, Laura and I took our, our, uh, our trip. Week two, we worshiped with another church. 
and I was, I was missing heritage because I wanted to come back week three. That was the gym Sunday. And I, I said, I'm coming back. I'm going to be there. We've got we to gotta figure this out. And I was told no. And I'm thankful for those who said, you cannot come back. <laughs> I said, well, I won't do anything. I'll just help make sure it gets set up. And Lord just laughed at that comment, by the way. And then last week, I got to worship uh, at camp. And I, and I tell you all this because over that time, I, I began to miss this place more and more. And as I kind of internalized that and really thought through and prayed to God about that, that, uh, that longing to be back here, what I realized is, is I love to share the Word of God. What I began to miss is the most important thing that I believe God has called me in my life to do, and that is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And too often I find myself chasing after dollar bills that'll hang me up, that'll get me in trouble, that'll take me elsewhere, when the thing that God has called me and has called His people to do and to be are those ambassadors, those children that come and to share and to live the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so, um, if you don't know me, uh, and those who do this, I don't think this will sound uh, too uncharacteristic of me. As I began to prepare for this particular Sunday and the weeks that will follow, I put a lot of undue pressure on myself. We start coming back. Like, there's a lot coming up in our church family as we prepare for uh, affirming, identifying and affirming elders of this church as we begin to continue working towards a more desirable schedule and, and time of togetherness and community, all these different things really flowed through me. So I began to think, well, we could, you know, we could talk. We're, there's a lot of books of the Bible, a lot of verses there that we can go to. But the place that you start, for people who desire not to chase after money on the side of a road, is you start with Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, I want to make sure you understand who Jesus Christ is for you. Because Jesus is quite literally everything. And so I want to begin in the most unlikely place. I want to begin at the end. The very last chapter of your Holy Bible is Revelation chapter 22. And some of the last words of Jesus in Scripture, I want to look at a couple of verses here. Now, Revelation. Next week, I'm going to look more um, holistically at the book of Revelation. This week, I really want to hone in on what Jesus has to say here towards the end of Revelation chapter 22. And so, um, wondering context and how does this fit in, know that this is the risen Lord and Savior speaking in Revelation chapter 22. Let's pick up in verse 12 when Jesus says, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. Let's pause there for just a moment because Jesus says a whole lot in these couple of verses. 
the risen Lord and Savior towards the very end of John's recording of, the, of his revelation in Revelation chapter 22, Jesus ends or begins to end Revelation exactly where Jesus and his Father have begun. Jesus declares that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the A to Z, that he is the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end. And what Jesus begins to declare for one final time in Scripture is that he is everything. Jesus is all. He doesn't start it. He also finishes it. But he's also there in the middle. And he is in between all the days from the beginning to the end. He creates new life and new beginnings. He creates new purpose. But Jesus is there when you think things are over and you aren't going anywhere. Jesus is everything. And if you're wondering if Jesus means anything to you, or, or if you're struggling in your relationship to Jesus, with Jesus Christ, then begin with understanding that Jesus is the first and he is the last and he is with you in all the things and all the times and all the moments that happen in between because he is everything. And I mean, he is everything. When we chase after dollar bills, we are chasing after fleeting moments ending moments. We are chasing after things that will come and go. But Jesus offers something different than a stack of cash in our arms. Jesus offers us not simply eternal life. He offers us new life this very day. My son Wiley just turned eight and he, um, he made out like a bandit with that cash. In fact, he was adding it all up yesterday. He had a stack of cash. Um, and he's counting it up. He's going through it. You know, there's a 10 here, a 1 here, a 5 here. And he's adding it all up. And he gets to his final number and he looks at me and he goes, I got more money than you, Dad. <laughs> I was like, you probably do. But immediately, with his stack of cash, he wants to buy something. Well, I said, what do you want? He goes, I don't know, but I want something. I said, well, why don't we wait? Which, you know, trying to tell an eight-year-old, why don't we wait? It's very difficult. I said, why don't we wait until we know what you want with your money, right? He goes, no, I just want something. So I said, let's think about it. And about five, ten minutes later, he comes back. He goes, okay, I want this, I want this. And he's got a list of things. I'm like, I don't think you can afford all that. He goes, I have more money than you, Dad. I said, okay, so we had to work through this, right? But the idea here is, is that even in our stacks of cash, that's fleeting and that's ending, right? There's a beginning and there's an end, but those things do not, uh, do not bring everlasting value. They bring fleeting moments of joy and happiness. He's already bought a game. I can predict what will happen with that game eventually. Just like when you and I spend money, what happens eventually? Something new, there's something different, there's another priority, it's fleeting. So when Jesus comes in and says, now look, I will come back soon, Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. And I will bring the gift of me, Jesus says. 
because I am the first and I am the last. I am the beginning. I am the end. I am the alpha, omega, the A and Z. And I am all that is in between. Jesus is declaring that fleeting moments. He is declaring everlasting relationship. He is declaring that he is with you and he is never going to leave you. And that when you take on Jesus in your life, you will find newness and a new beginning that will take you into eternity because Jesus is everything. He goes on in Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Now, this is, this is the last Revelation 22 verse that I'm getting to today. There's a lot going on here. Jesus says, I am coming back soon. The gift I'm bringing is me, and I am with you this very day. And those who listen and obey, Matthew chapter, sweat, uh, chapter 7, right? putting his words into practice, those who are with me and live their lives to this truth may enter and eat the fruit of the tree of life. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Because immediately what comes to mind is the Garden of Eden. And I find it fascinating that God's holy word, the very last chapter of his holy book, his scripture, would hearken all the way back to the beginning of scripture. That's not a coincidence. In fact, Jesus will use this phrase, the tree of life, a few different times in Revelation. But he ends exactly where God begins. And I want us to look at that moment for just a second. So let's go all the way back, not quite to the very beginning. Due to time, we'll jump over Genesis chapter 1. Let's go into Genesis chapter 2 for just a moment. Because I want us to understand that when Jesus says, blessed are those who will enter into the gates of the city and be able to eat from the fruit of the tree of life, Jesus is talking about this tree of life that God has had created from the very beginning. His intentions have never changed throughout time, and they are the same this very day. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. God has created the heavens and the earth. He's brought all of this chaos into order in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning of Genesis chapter 2. And then God planted a garden in, the, in Eden in the east. And there he placed the man that he had made. Verse 9. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Next few verses kind of give you a description of where this garden is. Jump down to verse 14. The Lord God places the man in the garden of Eden to tend to and watch over it. <clears throat> but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now, first, we're going to keep going into Genesis chapter 3 and read a little more of what the story is. But first, I want us to notice that from the very beginning, God has had a desire. 
that, and God has provided for that desire of his. God desires to give life. He created the heavens and the earth. He created the stars and the moon, the sun, the sky. He created the creatures of the sea, the land animals that are around us. And God says, you know what the most important thing, the most precious thing that I created in all the heavens and the earth? You. And God desired from the very beginning of his very creation, of the creation of his very own hands, to be in relationship with you. And God provided a way because his desire to give life and relationship is so deep and so fundamental to who our God is. He provided a way. And here we find out that God created the tree of life. He created a place where he can be one with his most precious and prized creation, humankind. But God also acknowledges and sees. So he provides another tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I don't believe God creates a a tree with stipulations and off limits to tempt us. I think God creates, or nor do I think that God creates a tree of knowledge and good and evil because he desires not to have the knowledge. God creates a tree because he wants his people that he has this desire to give life to, to be one with him. He desires to be in that garden along with them. And God provides a way to give life. This is God's desire from the very beginning. This is God who creates. This is the God who brings us into his fold. And so let's jump to Genesis chapter 3 as the story continues. In the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, the serpent enters into the story. The evil one, the deceiver, comes into the story and he begins to speak to Adam and Eve about this tree that they're not allowed to eat from, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 3, picking up in verse 2. The serpent said, of course, I'm sorry, the woman, of course we may eat from the tree in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. And God said, you should not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4, the serpent says, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, there is a lot going on in these few verses because the serpent and the deceiver, he's very sly. And if you notice, the serpent doesn't lie. But he acknowledges what God's asking of his children. In this case, God is asking him not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so he picks at that. And God even acknowledges that if you eat like this, you will be like us. You will know all these things. And why, God, why would God provide uh, uh, this tree of knowledge of good and evil? Because God seeks life. Our fascination of why we weren't allowed to eat or, you know, the, finding ourselves kind of understand, trying to understand why God would give us this tree not to eat of, when all the time God has given us the tree of life. God desires to be with us. 
He wanted to be in that garden with them. You may know the story. Adam and Eve eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And for the very first time, we have sin and separation. Obedience is not a taking away of your choice or power. Obedience is freedom to trust the God who gives life. This is God's desire from the very beginning. God desires life. He desires relationship with us. He desires for us to be his and for us to be those who listen and live in community with him. And so we stand, Josh, the next slide, between two trees. Every single day you stand between these two trees. And I'm thinking, and maybe I'm thinking out loud a little too much here, but I'm thinking that if Jesus is everything to you, there's no competition. That if Jesus is literally more important than grabbing the cash on the side of a highway, then the tree of life is all that you will ever need. But I'm just like you. And I get it. And I understand the appeal and the deception of the serpent. Because there are things that seemingly would be easy if I had this or that. And God's not looking to punish you. God's not looking to, to uh, cast you out of his garden. God is looking for life-giving relationship with you. And if Jesus is everything, if he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the, and the first and the last, then all we will ever need in this life is him. That's it. We won't need a birthday stack of cash. We won't need an armored truck to lose a latch. We will need Jesus no matter where we find ourselves today. And you may find yourself in a situation that you wish would go away. I wish the doctor would have better news. I wish my children would do this. I wish my, my relationship with my parents was different. You may wish for many different things, but God is with you in those difficult moments. Because if Jesus is everything, then he is the God who is with you for life, for relationship. Forgiveness is his MO. Don't forget, and I appreciate Robert reading John 14 this morning. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is everything. Earlier in that chapter, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled, which is a really bold statement because you and I have troubled hearts at times. We worry about others and situations. We worry about paying bills. We worry about the health of loved ones. We worry and our hearts may be troubled, but Jesus says, trust in God. You can trust in me. Why? Because Jesus is everything. 
Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says to those who are around him, he says, you can come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Have you ever sought after Jesus in the chaos? Have you ever looked for him when there's nothing that seemingly is going right or your way? Have you looked for Jesus when you are down and out of luck and feel like there's nothing left of you? You can go to him. Why? Because Jesus is everything. And I love in Mark chapter 1 when a man with leprosy breaks all kinds of laws and rules and customs and comes to the feet of Jesus asking for healing and Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't take a step back. Jesus gets closer and says, I am willing. Your God is willing. Your Savior is willing. Jesus is willing to come into your mess and into your situation, and he is willing to heal you because he is the first and he is the last. He is the alpha and he is the omega. He is the beginning and he is the end. He is the God who seeks life and your life. He seeks relationship wherever it is you find yourself today. That you can find newness, you can find renewal, you can find rejuvenation, you can find your Lord and Savior, and no matter what situation life brings to you. And I think we need to remember that. I think we need to embrace that. That things with Jesus, that's all we need. So let's stop chasing after cash, right? Let's stop moving after other things. Let's stop supplementing Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm the beginning. Good luck. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I got you started well. Make sure you... Stay on that. But Jesus says, I am with you. I am there in the beginning. I am there at the end. And I am there in between because I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And the tree of life is my life. Jesus loves you. In fact, that's the message. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And the question you have to ask this morning is, is he your everything? I'll make myself available up front this morning. I'm also around all morning. If there's anything I can help you with, this church can do for you or I can do as your minister, let's stand together and let's sing.